Hello, this is Alistair Rathbone. And Eric Marcinkowski. We are the hosts of A Brief History of Cinema. Uh, as you may have noticed, we've been away for the better part of a year and change. 18 15, months? Si- si- 14. It's been more than a year. Yeah. And first thing, we're sorry. <laughs> well, uh, we had yeah. some recording problems with later episodes that we were trying to do, because my computer is old and shitty. Uh, so have I have a new computer. But though. I have a new computer now, and a new microphone. And I have a new computer, so, so I yeah. don't have a new microphone. But we're, we're getting back into the swing of things. I also moved, so there was that, and between all the, the, the fuck-ups with our previous recording attempts, we sort of lost the spice to want to keep doing this. Uh, but but now, we're back. But we're back. That's yes. the important thing. Now we're back with more vim and vigor. So here is an episode that we had recorded before the hiatus. Yep, we I hope think you... this was, what, 26, uh, December 2016. Yes, December 2016. This is La Ventura. Our first Italian film. Uh, Is that true? Yes, it is. Okay, well, take it away. Hello, and welcome to A Brief History of Cinema. This is the podcast where we watch movies from the 5th edition of 1001 Movies to See Before You Die, and then we talk about them. This week, we talk about the 1960 classic Italian film, La Ventura. My name is Alistair Rathbone. And I'm Eric Marcinkowski. So, Eric, this week we watched La Ventura. Uh, a.k.a. The Adventure. It's a film from 1960 by the very famous Italian director Michelangelo Antiono... Antioni. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Italian names. I think we're probably going to get you most of them we wrong. You butchered Japanese on... <laughs> yeah, yeah, the other week. Uh, the other week, yeah, this is... you, you ain't heard nothing yet. Yeah, so this was directed by uh, Michelangelo Antonioni. Uh, let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, it's from 1960. He directed a few movies in Hollywood, uh, Blow Up and The Passenger with Jack Nicholson. Um, so he is a pretty famous guy. He directed many Italian films. This is the first of a trilogy of three. Yes. And uh, essentially it's about sad, rich people in broad strokes. Kind of more specifically, it's about uh, kind of like a melancholy of like as seen through like a couple specific characters i mean mm-hmm. they happen to be rich and you know they're vacationing and etc yeah uh, and traveling around italy but it's like this very kind of bleak outlook i'd say uh being viewed through these couple characters basically the the briefest of rundowns of this movie is four couples yeah i think it's yeah there's there's three main people that we need to pay attention to and like a bunch of spares yeah um these are two it's, okay, so it starts off with two ladies who are ostensibly in their late 20s, early 30s. No, no, I, th- I think she says she's 19. Oh. Yeah, they're like 20. Okay, like never 20, mind. 21. They're th- So they're the youngest. The main two yeah, characters yeah. Are, are really young. Uh, and they're going off with uh, the one character, Anna, her boyfriend, and his friends. They all have a big fancy yacht. Yes. And they're going sailing uh, uh, around the Aeolian Islands, which are just north of Sicily. Uh, and Anna goes missing on one of those islands, and they go looking for her, and then this is... Then it tends to focus on Claudia, 
who is Anna's friend, and Sandro, who is Anna's boyfriend, about how they become closer and work through all of their complex emotions while looking for Anna and while not looking for Anna. Yes. Well, uh, so Anna disappears uh, probably maybe about 30, 40 minutes into the movie. Yeah. Uh, this is a very long movie. It's about two hours and two, almost two and a half hours. Yeah, it is very long. Um, Anna disappears. Uh, her best friend, Claudia, uh, she is trying to find her. And uh, Anna's fiance is also trying to find her. But over the course of the movie, they end up falling in love. And they kind of just stop looking for Anna. And I think the movie also kind of is them reflecting on the fact that they're sad that they've like they stopped caring about Anna mm-hmm. and that they kind of love each other but at the same time they both are guilty about it because they are abandoning Anna that's what I read into it yeah no that was my interpretation as well yeah. I want to just uh, quickly point out we did not have very good subtitles for this movie no yeah that really hindered the the, the most notable noticeable mistranslation now it's not like eric and i are fluent in italian at all no but there is early on as she's as anna is leaving her father she says ciao papa and they translate that as goodbye father which technically yes that's what ciao papa would mean ciao does mean goodbye it can mean hello but it's very super informal a more accurate one would have been like see you later dad yeah like that has not less... like goodbye, father. I am leaving now to go on my adventure. No, not the... yeah, it's, no. It's... They were very formal, and they probably didn't capture the original like intention very well. I've read some like like best of quotes from the movie kind of thing, and like it's stuff I don't really remember because I think my translation or the the translation we had wasn't the greatest. No, it was not. But much like in Throne of Blood, I found that really good acting doesn't need subtitles. As I was watching this, I had a very hard time really trying to enjoy it because I could I I understood that the emotions and what was being conveyed on screen by these actors was not exactly what I was reading, so I could see their motivations coming through because I would much as I didn't enjoy a lot of this film, I enjoyed their acting because I could get those motivations coming through and help to read more into I could read more into the very dryly, poorly translated subtitles. Uh So there was that. I know there was great passion there, and they were delivering excellent performances. I really couldn't say that there were bad performances there, but just because I'm really trying to comprehend this, it hindered my enjoyment of the film because I'm doing the extra work of filling in the blanks of what is missing in the translation Uh and conveyed through their acting. I, I, there were some scenes that, uh, you know, as you mentioned uh, in Throne of Blood, and even uh, Zeklo, there were some scenes where you didn't need didn't need translation for, for what was going on. But there were moments where I'm like, yeah, I don't need the subtitles. This is great. There's a scene in the end, uh, towards the end, where Claudia and Sandro have basically given up looking for Anna. They've gotten a hotel somewhere, and they're basically just... She's dancing around because they've just made love the evening before. And then he's kind of just melancholy, and then she kind of realizes his mood, and then just kind of slumps down. Some of the some of the moments in this movie are are they don't really need translation. No, some definitely do not. Um, so let's just get into the nitty gritty now that we've done the quick rundown of the plot. This film, as we mentioned, directed by uh, Michelangelo and Tioni, 
screenplay also done by Antioni uh, with help of Elio Bartolini and Tonia Guerra. Tonina Guerra? Oh, Tonina. Tonina. Uh, it stars Gabrielle Frizzitti as Sandro, uh, Monica Vitti as Claudia, and Leah Massari as Anna. Anna? And honestly, Leah Massari is my favorite part of this movie. Yes. I, I write it in my notes as like, so bad they killed her off so quick. Yes. Uh, because her performance is great. I put her up there uh, with Mifune in Throne of Blood, where it was excellent, highest yeah. level of passion, really elevating the text that she's given. Yeah. So it was great. She she does... Um, her character is... Uh, it's, it's not really ambiguous whether or not she, like, killed herself or, like, accidentally died. Because she says, like, she... Uh, Sandro's her fiance, and she doesn't see him very often, like mm-hmm. once a month kind of thing, or they don't see each other for months at a time. Uh, and she's very upset over that. But it's, I think she says, like, I'm glad to see you, but also I don't want to see you. Like, she misses him, but also she likes, enjoys being alone and might not want to actually marry him. So she's very conflicted, and she plays that kind of, like, melancholy, unsure, sad... Sad's not the right word. Blase? Is that, is that the right word? Yeah, I think blase would be the right term for that. Uh, I want to go back into that thematic discussion sure. in, in a minute, because you're hitting on some good points there, but let's just quickly give you more of the rundown oh, yeah, of, sorry. of the excellent cast and crew here. Uh, this movie was scored by Giovanni Fusco, and he did provide some slight scores, although mostly this film used what's called diegetic. Yeah, I think diegetic music, which basically means the only music in the movie is when characters are listening to like the radio, for example, or at the they don't go to the opera, but if they were at the opera, yeah. they'd have a scene. Basically, it's like The Wire. If you've ever seen The Wire, the only time you really hear music is because music is playing from someplace yeah. in the setting. Aldo Scaverda was the cinematographer, uh, who later would go on to work with uh, Bertolucci, who did... Something famous. Something famous. <laughs> We haven't gotten to him yet. He's in the book, for he sure. He's in the book. We are going to be covering Bertolucci, and you're probably screaming at us of his most famous film, which we can't yeah. remember offhand. offhand. Uh, the editor was Eraldo de Roma, who would go on to work with Sergio Leone. Yep. Every, that's the definitely the Italian yes. director everyone knows. Yep. It was a very successful movie. We couldn't find any yeah, revenue we couldn't figures, find box office yeah, But figures. we do know it was very successful, yep. because it won a handful of awards, uh, which... Well, the version of the movie that we have started off by it's there's a just a title card that says uh, I I don't forget exactly, but it's like this movie won the jury pool selection award at Cannes in 1960. Yeah, uh, which it did. Um, also went on to win from the British Film Institute. The, uh, it won the Sutherland Trophy, and that went to uh, Antioni, the director, at the Golden Globes for that year. Uh, Monica Vita Viti, sorry, who plays. Claudia, uh, she won the Golden Globe for Best Breakthrough Act- Actress, and the Italian National Syndicate of Film Journalists gave their silver ribbon for Best Score to uh, Giovanni Fusco for his score in this movie. Very, very popular movie. It was a very popular movie, despite being booed relentlessly at its first showing at Cannes. Yes. Uh, I, I understand from, why. Oh, I do as well. Um... As you know, as much as we talked a little bit about how the themes in this, I did not attach to this movie very well. It didn't seem to jive with my sensibilities. 
I didn't like it, I'd go so far to say. I'm, I'm inclined to agree as well, although I want to hang that on the poor subtitles that we got. Sure. I would like to rewatch this movie if I could be guaranteed that the translation was top-notch. Maybe I'll have a different experience, but I definitely agree. But let's go back and talk about those themes, because we're talking, we were talking earlier about how uh, Anna has that line where it's like, I love you, but then I see you, and I feel that I don't love you. Yeah. Antonioni is one of the preeminent auteurs of Italian cinema. Italian cinema is known for having many different phases. Uh, in the 1940s and 50s, in Italian c- cinema, we get the neo-realist movement, which goes on to inspire French New Wave and the Polish Film School. We have already reviewed what is a neo-realist film, although it's not Italian, Los Olvidados, and neo-realism de- deals with big, broad themes that are happening in society. Like poverty. Like or, poverty in Los yeah. Olvidados. Antonioni is making films after this period, but it's not quite at the spaghetti western period of Italian cinema. But Antonioni is not attached to any particular film movement because mm-hmm. he's an auteur. An auteur is someone who has a very singular vision in collaborative artwork, but really make sure that it has to be done this way. I think people you could call, other people you could call auteurs, people who are really controlling behind the camera and how things work. Uh, Scorsese, yeah. uh, for an example. Kubrick is probably the best example. Kubrick being the best example of that. Very very hands-on in how things yeah. should be done. And he's not dealing, in this film at the very least, he's not dealing with broad themes, like the theme of poverty that we see in Los Olvidados. Mm-hmm. He's dealing with more uh, of a micro theme of like relationships. What he's covering here is this. What we see in all the couples is the the weird clash of emotions that many people do feel as they approach sort of not quite midlife, but like late twenties to early thirties, where you still have a lot of your youthful passions inside you, but it's coming up to the cynicism. It, it's bashing up against the cynicism of adulthood. Mm-hmm. So you're conflicted much like Anna is where she does feel love for Sandro at times but also necessities of life and adulthood are coming to him it's like do I really want to marry a man who's always away on business what kind of life is that going to be for me I do love him and I have this passion for him but is it really in my best interest in the long run to be with him and many other complicated emotions that they work through and that's what he was trying to, to show in this film Yeah, and I felt that he did accomplish that, sure. But I do think the 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 gravitas of it is lost on us. Well, even Claudia, she feels very similar because you know she is coming to terms with and kind of mourning her friend. Like she doesn't know for sure that her friend is dead, but she over the course of the film, she's like it becomes pretty certain that she's probably dead. They actually did film a scene where they would be pulling Anna's body out of the yes. water. It just never made it into the film. So Anna is actually dead. She didn't just fuck off. She's dead. Yeah, well, I mean, that that comes to an argument of do deleted scenes count as a part of the text? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I think in, in, in this context with Antonioni being an auteur and having a very distinct vision... Because as I understood it, my research, it was that scene was only cut really because of uh, issues of time. Like we said, it's a two and a half hour movie. Okay, well, what's the next? What, uh, well, okay, but that scene probably maybe was like seventeen minutes long because yeah, all the other scenes in this movie are extended to a to a very large degree. Yeah, but what I was saying is, uh, Claudia, she 
she feels conflicted because she falls in love with Sandro, but at the same same time, she has fallen in love with sorry, Claudia has fallen in love with Anna, her friend who has died or is probably dead. She's fallen in love with Anna's fiance, so she's mourning her friend, but also she knows that she loves Sandro, but she doesn't love him because she shouldn't. There's a line I think in the movie where uh, she says, "Tell me you love me," and he says, "I love you." And then she says, tell me again. He says, I don't love you. And she says, I deserve that. Like, she herself is quite conflicted. Yeah, on those very grounds, because it is confusing. You, you've lost your friend who you really cared for, but mm-hmm. you're finding this new love and this tragedy, and that's conflicting for anyone when mm-hmm. you're finding happiness amidst tragedy. Now, I will say that this movie is uh, beautiful. Oh, fuck yeah. They filmed everything. I think almost everything in this film is on location. Yes, it is. Like, there's a lot of scenes where I'm like, how do they film this? Is this a matte painting? No, it's not a matte painting. They're just driving around, like, beautiful old Italy. Yeah, it just turns out Italy's fucking beautiful. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it is. Um, Interestingly, there were uh, a very small number of extras. There wasn't, like, a lot of people around. So clearly they, like, shooed people away from the streets because they're driving around, like, Italian cities and there's no one around when... Definitely, there should be more people around. So that was um, it. Kind of gave it like a lonely kind of feel in certain certain spots. Yeah, because they start out in Rome, and the one unique thing you notice is that when they're driving, they're the only car, and like you can just Google traffic in Rome, and yeah. it's like there is no like that doesn't happen. No, even in 1959. Yeah, there that definitely would not happen. Uh, so there's that kind of feeling of of loneliness just through the amount of people that aren't around when they should uh, should be around. Everything was filmed on location. They're on this island in the middle of, uh, this, uh, I guess, the Mediterranean, Mediterranean. Ocean, just yeah. north of uh, Sicily. They filmed on this island for four months. Apparently it was supposed to take about two weeks or so to actually film there, but they, they were filming there for four months. Yeah, they start filming in August and don't wrap up filming in that area until almost November, December. Yes. Uh, which, <laughs> hypothermia is a danger when you're swimming in the Mediterranean in the middle of winter. I think Anna herself got. They, 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 they just, in the research we found, they just said some sort of cardiac problems. I read that as like they kept making her swim in the frigid Mediterranean, and she got mild hypothermia. <laughs> I don't think it was mild. Apparently, she was in a coma for like oh, a okay few days. Then. Yeah. yeah well, so there's nothing ever mild about hypothermia, if we're honest. Well, especially not if you end up in a coma. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they were they were filming on location there, and actually that stuff on the island was really interesting because although it was like very slow paced at that point, like I keep thinking like, wow, this looks so beautiful. Now, of course, we're watching like a high definition transfer or or something like that of the film, but like the waves crashing, it's this cragged rock. It's not like a nice beach island. It's just a jagged rock sitting in the middle of the ocean that's like fifty foot high, and they're just climbing all over this thing. Um, and then it's it's weird because there's these like luxury boats uh, and people wearing like fashionable clothing and like little hats and like the girls are wearing wonderful bikinis and the uh, lady Patrizia she's wearing like this gown this see through ombre gown thing as she's like hanging out on our boat with her weird dog and they're crawling all over this like ugly jagged sharp yeah. rock and these like vacationing int- uh, you know pretty young people. That was kind of a weird... It was weird. Ju- like, just that juxtaposition was just odd. And it's interesting to 
to note that at that time when they were filming that, because one week into production, the film company went bankrupt. While they were on the island. While they were on the island. For that four months. Yeah, while they were on Fishbone Island. Yes. I'm not even going to try and pronounce the Italian name, but it's Fishbone Island. They went bankrupt. Luckily, Antonio Honey still had a dick ton of film stock Mm -hmm. and did convince the cast and crew to work for free for a little bit. And they did that for a bit. And then people... And then the boat stopped showing up with food and supplies. Apparently, all they had was film stock. Yeah, they, they didn't have food, yeah. but they had film stock. <laughs> yeah, and you can't eat film stock. So there was a little bit of a, a revolt where the people refused to work. So for a lot of times, uh, Antonioni and his assistant director were doing all of the work themselves. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it got real rough until the filming uh, until the money started flowing again. Yeah, well, another production company. I guess they convinced another production company, like, hey, give us some money. And then they're like, yeah, all right. So getting back to what you said earlier about uh, Antonioni being a on a tour, like, you can kind of tell on... So I don't know if you can tell when watching the movie, but it, it does totally make sense. There's a scene where two people, uh, uh, Claudia and Sandro, are basically making love on a hillside. Uh, and as they're making love, the camera kind of zooms into the background and a train passes by. Apparently that took 10 days to shoot because they went to a hillside and they waited for trains to pass to get the shot. Like, that's the kind of stuff that Antonioni was doing to get these shots. There's a scene where uh, they're standing on a train and the train is coming into a coastal resort town. Mm -hmm. And you can see through the window of the train as it is approaching, you can just see, like, the ocean giving way to the city as it's kind of going around this, like, it's high on a cliff. It's going around a curve. You can just see the town in the distance kind of slowly rolling into view. Apparently, it took like three days to shoot because they... I don't know if they rented a train. It was supposed to take like a couple hours, but it took days because I guess they just moved the train back and ran into town again just so they get that shot as it was coming in. I kept being surprised by how clearly they were just on location. Like, there's no sets in this movie. Everything looks beautiful because, you know, Italy was beautiful. Uh, Well, I suppose it continues to be. But, like, they're obviously, like, in a real train station. They just put a camera up and maybe a light. Or they're in a plaza and it's, like, cobblestone streets and there's beautiful, you know, cars going down. Uh, Or there's a a cliff with just, like, a a tunnel etched out of the side of the cliff. And, again, looks like a matte painting. It's not. They, it's just a beautiful cliff with the sun coming down in this perfect way, and then they drove that car. Everything in this movie is, is pretty beautiful. I think that's one of the things that people remark the most about it in terms of its legacy. Mm-hmm. Is just It added so much to the visual language of film. It really, really does. I do see that. I do see... Yeah, I do see how it was making it more of a, a, a visual medium doing that show, not mm-hmm. tell, which... I appreciate for the historical mm-hmm. aspect of this film. It is important to cinema in that way. Doesn't mean I, I like yeah, it. Yeah, it doesn't mean I like it either. I mean, I like parts of it. It's interesting. But it's interesting more than it's good to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. no, it is. Yeah, there are more interesting parts. I liked... This, this is one of the weird times where I liked researching this film more than I enjoyed mm. watching this film. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. L- learning the history of this film was very interesting. Yeah. Watching it, uh, there were a lot of times when I was just bored, and I was like, "Can we, can we please move the plot along, please? Mm-hmm. How long do you have to circle this island before you realize she is not there?" I think they're on that island for about an hour. Hmm. It was very strange pacing. In this it movie. was very strange pacing. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I guess 
on that note, is this a movie you should see before you die? Who? Um, if you're a film student, I will say yes. Uh, but if you're just like some guy who's like, ah, I like movies. Yeah, they're pretty good. No. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree on 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 that note. Like, if if you're just a movie fan and you really want to, and and you're listening to this podcast and you want to see these great movies, or you're trying to base these recommendations on like what of the thousand and one that I should watch, I'd say don't watch this one. But if you really want to learn more about film history, if that's really your jam, yeah, watch it and then and then tell us about it. Sure, because. There's lots about this movie I think we both still don't understand. It's fair. But, yeah, this is definitely not one of the ones in the book that you absolutely must see before you die. That's fair. I actually, I will add, though, I probably will watch it again. So will I if I can find a really good translation. Yeah. Because that's what I need, because I don't want, even, because like I'd said earlier, I'm, we're watching this movie to to critique it, so we're already doing that in that particular mindset and paying attention and not paying attention in certain ways. But then we had to do the extra work of... Deciphering. Deciphering the real meanings of the lines between the poor translation and what we're seeing on screen. Because mm. we haven't had that problem in foreign films before. None of the ones that we've done, like whether it's Belle de Jour, Los Olvidados... Uh, I think or... I think in Belle de Jour and Los Olvidados, a couple times, like someone would say like "au revoir," and then it's like the the translation doesn't line up quite right because I know enough to know that that's not exactly what they're saying, but that's the gist of it. Um, but not to the degree of this movie. I think there's a lot being lost in the translation. Yes. So. So, so don't see it before you die. Yeah, don't see it before you die. Uh, instead. See any see see some of our rapid fire recommendations. Eric, yes. Do you have anything? Uh, what did I recommend last week? Uh, I think Ash vs Evil Dead. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend that again. Yeah. Um, Westworld is very good. I haven't really seen a lot of movies too too much. Yeah. Westworld. N- yeah. Neither neither have I. I'll still stand by um, Deep Space Nine because I'm still deep in that. I'm about almost two thirds the way through the third season. Mm-hmm. So. Fair. Alright, so it's that time in the episode again where we're going to have to roll for initiative and figure out what we're watching next. So, uh, what are we doing here, Al? Uh, Well, we're just going to fire up our good old-fashioned random number generator uh, and hit the random number button a bunch of times and then whatever it lands on between the numbers 1 and 1001, that's the movie we're going to watch. Okay, let's do it. Um, interestingly, it didn't give us a number. It just said Riley. Uh, what, what does that mean? Oh, I think that means we're going to need to have a special guest again. I believe good, our old friend Riley McDonald, who you will remember from our episode on uh, Flamboyant Bob, as I call it, or Bob <laughs> Le Flambeur, yep. uh, who are, who's the co-host of the excellent podcast, Hammer Time Horror. Yes. So, since we're going to have Riley on... And it's going to be a special occasion. And, Christmas is coming. And Christmas is the coming. Holidays, the holidays yeah. are coming. This episode that we're going to be doing with Riley might not be released until the new year. But I think as a treat to ourselves, since our good friend Riley McDonald will be coming by, let's let's just pick one ourselves. Okay. 
Uh, I'm going to put in the request of that great epic, Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. Specifically because I know you two haven't seen it, and it is one of my favorite movies. Okay. And I really want to see what you guys have to say about this. So, 387, Lawrence of Arabia. That's what we're going to be watching next week uh, on our, our next episode from 1962. Excellent. Who's in that? Oh, uh, the ever-magnificent Peter O'Toole Okay. in the lead. He does a fantastic job. Um, I just love him so much in that role. But also, we get to see one of the great actors of the 20th century in blackface. Sorry? Alec Guinness. In blackface. Oh. Obi-Wan Kenobi in blackface? Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, he becomes... The, yeah, he plays the one of the, the Arab tribe leaders who would later go on to found... essentially found the House of Saud. Anyway, so we'll, I guess we'll be back next week with Riley McDonald and also Lawrence of Arabia. This has been a brief history of cinema. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Abhawk podcast facebook.com slash brief history of cinema and soundcloud.com slash brief history of cinema we're also on itunes uh, stitcher uh, pocket cast any other podcast app that you have you can listen to us there and please after you've listened please leave us some comments rate review that'll really help us out attracting new listeners thank you as always for listening i'm alistair rathbone and i'm eric marcinkowski see you next week 